I wonder whether um, anyone knows who this is describing his childhood. As a child, I never knew a father's love. I never benefited from a father's example. I can't remember a single time my father took me somewhere alone and spent time with me. I can't remember feeling proud of my father or imitating him. In fact, I hated him. I grew up on a 150-acre dairy farm just outside a small town in Michigan. Everyone knew everyone else in that town and, of course, everyone knew about my father and his drinking. My teenage buddies made jokes about him and I laughed too, hoping my laughter would hide my pain. I hated him for the shame he caused me but also for the way he treated my mother. Sometimes I'd go out to the barn and find my mother lying in the manure behind the cows, beaten so badly she could not get up. Sometimes, when he came home in a drunken stupor, I would drag him out to the barn, tie him to the stall and leave him there to sleep it off. And as a teenager, I would tie his feet with a noose that ended around his neck, hoping he would choke himself while trying to get free. When my mother died the month of my high school graduation, I blamed my father. Do you know who that was? The man. Christians will know that Josh McDowell today is one of the most respected Christian leaders in America. He's a man of enormous stature, a man who is respected by millions of Christians throughout the world, a man who has a happy, stable family, a man who, who's daughter wrote in the preface to his book, The Father Connection, Dad, you are nothing like your father. I mentioned, read that to you for three reasons. An increasing number, uh, the first is that it, that it is a rising problem in our society today. An increasing number of young people don't grow up with a healthy, happy relationship with their father. Of course, there are perennial father problems, such as uh, alcohol abuse, lack of interest, a variety of moral failings by fathers. But uh, it seems to me the most common cause of um, uh, father deficiencies in the modern Western world is simply their absence the decline of the conventional family, for instance, in Britain means that today one quarter of all children will grow up in a single parent household and 80%, over 80% of those households are mother-led households. Of the order of 40 or perhaps 50% of, of uh, children in, uh, in uh, Britain will not grow up with their biological father. 
And although stepfathers can be great, the problems associated with stepfatherhood are much, much higher than with biological fathers. Families need fathers. It's not that they don't lead mothers, of course. The the maternal influence is absolutely essential, especially at certain ages. But, to be honest, generally mothers are not doing so badly. It is fathering in our society which is declining. And a poor or a non-existent relationship with a father is strongly correlated with low self-esteem, poor exam results, an inability to form stable relationships, teenage pregnancy, disordered sexuality, depression and more. Now frankly, Josh McDowell's experience in this city is far from rare. I could take you to young people who have endured fathers like that, who are today enduring fathers like that. And even uh, uh, if, you, if you go to less extreme forms of paternal deprivation, it's positively common. But I read that for a second reason too. It's not, not only that there are real problems about fatherhood in our society, I read that story because it proves that those deficiencies are possible to overcome. Josh McDowell found the strength to break free of uh, the, the, the pattern of life that he had grown up in through his Christian faith. When he found God, he found a heavenly father. And that relationship began to put him back together, began to make him whole. You know, there will be people here who recognise some of the elements of his childhood. His story is a good news story. We are not bound to inherit the damage that our fathers give us. And I read it for a third reason too. Actually, it's the reason that we're going to focus on for the rest of this morning. It's not only through finding God as a heavenly father that people are changed and transformed and helped. It's through living in God's family. It's actually through finding fathers in Christ. Josh McDowell speaks of how he found such a man in his later-to-be father-in-law. And again and again and again, I hear good news stories that are partly bound up with finding a true spiritual family with fathers. God's family, the church, needs fathers just as much as every biological family does. 
We've been looking at this letter to the Corinthians, haven't we? We've seen how dysfunctional these Corinthians were. And there has to have been the question, what did they need then, these people, to sort them out? Paul's answer here at the end of 1 Corinthians 4 is they needed a father. They needed a father type to help them. And in many ways, he says, it's the last type of person that often we look to. Do you see what he says um, uh, said there? Verse 15, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became a father to you through the gospel. Guardians were employees that were employed by wealthy people to look after the kids. They were um, notorious for caring very little about the children, frankly. They were usually portrayed in the art of the time as carrying a big stick Frankly, most of them were just in it for the money. And Paul says, you've got lots of those. Charismatic leaders, domineering leaders, self-serving leaders. They look really good. They look really attractive. In fact, they try to make themselves look really good so they'll get a job. So they'll be employed, so they'll have their little gaggle of admirers. But guardians, who don't really care about the people they are responsible for, well, guardians, they're a liability. Families need fathers. As true in the church as it is in biological families. I mean, let me just say a moment, to, uh, a word to, uh, uh, to to women here. I'm afraid all the re- almost all of the rest of what I'm going to say is going to be addressed to the the men there this morning. Don't switch off. Don't walk out. Um, um, cheer silently with me, perhaps. Hold us accountable as men in our wider society increasingly people are talking about a crisis in masculinity and so I'm unashamed just just for one occasion talking to the men here and let me say something to men for every one of us here every single one of us our calling as we grow as men in Christ is to become fatherlike. I don't mean to marry and have children. Some of us, for some of us, that, that, that will happen. But you see, the apostle, he's a single man. As far as we're aware, he has no children. But he describes himself as a father here. All men are to become fatherly in, they, in the way that they relate to one another. Young men here, that is how you need to be growing Older men here, that is the role that you need to be exercising 
within the family of this uh, of God. And this morning I'm going to be listing, I think it's seven things, just briefly, and I w- perhaps you won't remember all of them, but I hope the weight of the things that Paul brings out about his fatherly role will build and build and build in your appreciation of what he's talking about. Seven things that mark Paul out as a father, single man though he is, to be imitated. First of those, fathers love. It took me a long time personally as a Christian to notice something which, to be honest, is absolutely obvious about the Apostle Paul. He loved people with an extraordinary open passion. Many people um, accuse Paul of being a sort of hard-nosed, ruthless, authoritarian figure. And I wonder, have they read his letters? You know, here in verse 14... Um, uh, He addresses them as dear children. He describes in verse 17 Timothy as my son whom I love. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 4 he describes um, a letter that had been written to them sometime between the first and second letters that we have. And uh, he says he wrote out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. It's amazing. I mean, he writes to the Galatians that he feels himself as if in the pains of childbirth. He writes to the Philippians and he says, I have you in my heart. When he hears good news about the Thessalonians, he says, now we really live. You know, if you read the greetings as well, at the end of Paul's letter to the Romans, you'll find him addressing person after person with deep affection, my beloved friend, the person whom I love, an older woman who has been a mother to me, he describes. The Apostle Paul, I mean, he's extraordinary, he wore his heart on his sleeve as a man. I mean, it's certainly true that uh, Paul is... um, particularly florid in his expressions of love, but none of the New Testament writers is sort of passionless. John, for instance, writes beautifully of his affection for others, of his joy in them. Peter, in his letters, addresses his readers again and again as dear friends. You know, it's said that a whole generation of Americans grew up unable to cry because John Wayne didn't cry. We learn from the example of an older generation. It may be that a whole generation of uh, young British people are growing up unable to give time because the father they knew didn't give time. appears in the life of his children at certain points, but deep emotional connection, well, that's for mothers, isn't it? And that gets played out in churches as well. In this country there are numerous churches who are suffering because the men in them, frankly, do little more than turn up on Sundays, 
they perhaps um, are, are involved in some committee on the church or some uh, task group, but the thought of the men being involved personally, emotionally engaged with people in the life of the church, well, that's a, that's a million miles from them. That's woman's work. No, it's not. Families need engaged, loving fathers. We cannot leave the task of loving only to women. Men can express love in unique ways that, 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 that women just cannot do. Young men, now is the time to learn that. Now is the time, for instance... Uh, young men, to learn to treat other women as sisters with purity, as the Apostle puts it elsewhere, not as a combination of dangerous seductresses or, or potential mates. If that's the only way we've learned to relate to women, then we will not have healthy relationships even when we're married with a wider group of women in the church. Now is the time, young men, to learn to engage, perhaps with your peers, perhaps with teenagers and younger. And learn to nurture them and encourage them. As the Apostle Paul did. Families need fathers. And fathers love. James said as well, it doesn't mean that fathers don't confront. Can't miss that um, in this letter to the Corinthians. And it's there in verse 14. I'm not writing this, he says, to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. He doesn't want to put them, just put them down. He doesn't want to defeat them. He doesn't want to humiliate them. He doesn't want to shame them. He wants to warn them. That word has a sense of, of confronting a person with what they are doing wrong. And it always, in Scripture, carries the big danger of the person being, uh, the, the, the confronter being overly harsh. In Ephesians 6, verse 4, for instance, Paul speaks of fathers bringing up their children in the discipline, that's the same word, of the Lord, but then he warns them, don't exasperate them. Or in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul describes formal disciplinary measures within the life of the church. And then he says, don't regard such a person as an enemy, but warn him, same word again, warn him as a brother. Or in Acts chapter 20 where Paul was speaking to the Ephesian elders. He reminds them how he warned them, same word, day and night with tears. Make no mistake about it, unheeded warnings about serious matters in the New Testament must be followed up with action. Titus chapter 3 verse 10, Paul says, warn, same word, warn a divisive person once, 
warn him a second time and after that have nothing to do with him. It's not that warnings have no teeth. But again and again in the New Testament we're warned that men can be overly aggressively confrontational. This week we got um, a gift of uh, um, macadamia nuts in their shells. I don't know whether you... I've never seen them in their shells. Um, The shells were too hard for our nutcracker, so we had to get a big two and a half pound hammer um, and um, um, bash these uh, shells with the hammer to try to get the soft kernel out. It was it took great skill to hit just hard enough to break the shell, but not to crush the kernel. People are like macadamia nuts. Often we surround ourselves with incredibly hard shell. But there is deep vulnerability inside. And men, we need to learn the skill to confront just strongly enough that the crack comes, but not to crush. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, says Paul. Fathers do confront. And fathers as well teach. Verse 15, second half of it. You do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Paul had proclaimed the good news about Jesus to them and that word had produced in them life. And that's like becoming a father, says Paul. We don't create the life in our children biologically but we are involved in the process by which it happens. It's almost a dangerous image which the New Testament takes up on on several occasions to try to explain how the word of God brings life. It's an extraordinary privilege to become a biological father as those little sketches earlier portrayed. But it is an even greater privilege to become a father through the gospel. The gospel doesn't just give first life as well. The gospel sustains life. It trains us. It rebukes us. It encourages us. It gives joy and hope and contentment. The gospel is the source of our life throughout. And men need to learn to wield it. Of course, I'm not saying women don't need to. What I am saying that you men, you fathers, teach. Everyone will have a different style. You know, the man who takes his mate down the pub and talks to him of the, the, the love and the forgiveness of God, 
is just as valuable in the life of God as someone who is able to, to, to preach. But we need to learn to implant that seed of life in the hearts of others so that life springs up. Fathers teach. Men, be life givers. And fathers are alongside. Verse 16, Therefore, he says, I urge you to imitate me. That word translated urge there has a, a wide range of meanings. Sometimes it means comfort, sometimes it means encourage, sometimes guide, sometimes counsel, sometimes it even implies a rebuke. But uh, every place where it is used, it, it has a sense of being alongside. Alongside to comfort, alongside to encourage, alongside even sometimes as a rebuker, but alongside. Paul carefully describes himself as a brother as much as a father. A father who loves to put himself above others. Not a proper father at all. We are fellow sinners, we are fellow travellers. We are alongside other people. Father's nurture. Look at Paul's relationship with, uh, with Timothy as he describes it in verse 17. For this reason I am sending you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. Uh, he says... He's got alongside Timothy. Timothy's become a son to him. They've spent time together. Timothy's started to bear his, his, Paul's likeness. Timothy knows what Paul teaches. Paul's been intimately involved in nurturing this young man. Fathers nurture. You know, some of us here are, are older. There are young men here who are just dying to find someone to hang out with who's a half a generation or a generation older. Some of us here are, 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 are younger. Have you ever thought what a powerful influence you could have on teenagers who see you as someone who's just a few years ahead who could start to learn what it means to be a young adult as they watch you? they spend time with you. Fathers nurture. Fathers are consistent too. Did you notice what Paul says there? Um, Timothy will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Two elements of consistency there. His way of life was consistent with his teaching and his teaching was consistent wherever he went. He was a man who was the same in every place. It is quite common, you know, for men to be one person in the office, another person at home and another person in church. Our children perhaps see, our, see those inconsistencies. 
Our work colleagues, colleagues would be amazed if we invited them to church on Sunday. You go to church? Our spouses might see it. But we get so hard and we don't see it. Don't be a different person in different places. In a profound sense, inconsistent men are impotent. We will never be able to implant the life-giving seed of the gospel in anyone's life. Man, consistency is spiritual Viagra. You will become potent if you learn to have a consistent life which teaches and acts in every situation as a man of God. And lastly, fathers, point to Christ. Did you notice that again and again? Paul, in his uh, language, just drops in a phrase here and there, always to deflect people away from looking at him to Christ. Verse 14, in Christ Jesus I became your father. Verse 17, Timothy is faithful, in the Lord. Verse 17 again, he will remind you of my way of life, in Christ Jesus. In other words, you see, Paul doesn't want them to focus primarily on himself as a father, but on Christ, who has made him the man that he is. He became a father to them because he was in Christ Jesus, because Christ Jesus had transformed him. And at every point he wants to say, yes, I'm an example to you, but it's because of Christ. Paul always points beyond himself to Jesus Christ. You know, there are some great fathers out there in the world who are not Christians. They are great except for the fact that they never ever manage to point beyond themselves to the source of all good fatherhood. We men here, we know that we are failures one way or another. We know that if people only imitate us, then they too will be failures. We need in our lifestyle both to live with the greatest integrity that we can but to point beyond ourselves. To cultivate an ultimate trust in God himself not in ourselves. Do you see when Paul starts speaking about um, coming to them I will come to you very soon he says in verse 19 if the Lord is willing. Later on he'll have to explain why he didn't wasn't able to come to them because the Lord had redirected him elsewhere. But even here, at this point, he's deeply conscious that it's not his potency, it's not his ability to sort this church out, it's not his ability to see the future, it is God's. He trusts God ultimately and they too must 
And then uh, um, at the end when he starts uh, talking about um, arrogant people who are talking, we'll see what power they have. And then verse 20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. Some people have misinterpreted that to imply that Paul's saying when he comes, he'll be like some great televangelist. He'll, he'll smash people to the floor and claim it's being slayed in the spirit or, or, or whatever. But that's exactly the antithesis of what Paul is saying. Paul has explained carefully in chapters 1 and 2 the power of God comes from simply proclaiming the truth about Christ Jesus crucified and watching God transform lives. He has no power. But he knows that if he lives as a man who points to Christ, as a man who points to the cross, as a man who has learned to trust the living God who does have power, power will be evident. Fathers point to Christ, we must. See, I've been a pastor in this city for long enough to know that perhaps one of the key ways in which people are inhibited from growth is through some problem in their relationship with the Father, men and women. And when I look at Scripture, I see the answer. The answer is in the family of God having men who are learning to be fathers. In the way that they live and ultimately in the way they point to God the Father. My great ambition for you, men, and me, is that we will be the fathers that families need.